0: Recording in
1: progress.
2: The June 15th meeting of the Federated uh, Employees Retirement System of San Jose, and we will have a roll call. Uh, Trustee Chandra, present. Vice Chair Jennings, here. uh, uh, Trustee uh, Linder, present. Trustee Abbott, here. Trustee Avasti, here. And Trustee still learning the names of all the new trustees. Trustee Faulkner is not here
3: so may i uh, qualify trustee jennings for her participation as a uh, trustee pursuant to the traditional brown act please thank you um trustee Jennings. can you hear me okay i can okay thank you what location are you teleconferencing from
4: 855 east hilton drive boulder creek california
3: thank you um and have you posted the agenda at the location where it can be publicly seen yes And is the location from where you're teleconferencing open to the public and ADA accessible? Yes. And if any member of the public wishes to be heard at your location, can they be heard by us? Yes. Thank you. And for the record, um, to the extent Trustee Faulkner uh, appears at this meeting, he will not be participating as a trustee of the board and rather be a member of the public. Thank you.
2: Great. Thank you. Uh, So we are holding this meeting as a hybrid meeting. Uh, Those who are attending virtually, please mute yourself unless you are speaking. And if you wish to speak, please raise your hand and staff will alert the chair. And all votes will be roll call votes. Uh, There are no orders of the day. There is no need to wave sunshine. Um, And at this point, we will take public comment. Uh, Members of the public who may wish to comment on items not included on the agenda provided that the matter is within the subject matter jurisdiction of the board. Members of the public who wish to provide a comment at this time may do so by quote raising your hand unquote in the Zoom app or if joining by telephone by pressing star nine on your telephone keypad or if here presently to raise your hand. When addressing the board uh, press star six to unmute. Please state your name for the record prior to providing your comments. All speakers will be limited to three minutes in addition public comment on items listed on the agenda will be taken at the time the item is addressed are there any members of the public wishing to address the board anybody online okay hearing none um, we'll move to the consent calendar uh, is there any items on the consent I- uh, calendar that board or staff would like to pull or to comment on If not, do I have a motion to approve the consent calendar? So moved. Moved by Trustee Linder. Do we have a second? Second. We have a second by Trustee Abbott. Public discussion. And we will have a roll call vote. Uh, Trustee Chandra? Aye. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Abbott?
4: Aye.
2: Trustee Avasti? Aye. Uh, Trustee Linder? Aye. And I vote aye as well, the motion passes. We move to the next agenda item. And that is closed session. So we will uh, move to closed session. And I think we need to physically move to another room. Okay. session yes okay so i believe uh we've uh, already approved the consent calendar mm-hmm. and i believe agenda item number two is next uh, death and survivorship we'll take a moment of silence to uh remember those who have served the city and who have passed Agenda item number three, investments. We start with an oral update from our CIO.
5: All right, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, My apologies in advance. We have a somewhat of a longish investment section today, which we normally don't. Uh, This is a rarity because not only do we have 331 performance, but we also have the once in five year study that Veris does and they will be presenting this. But before I do that, as always, Pro forma performance as of two days ago, and guess what? Fiscal year today date, six point eight nine percent. As of Yes. Not
6: even yesterday and today. No, that's right. <laughs> of
5: course, we have another ten trading days to go. Anything can happen in the market, but we have, we are in excess of six and five eighths. Uh, mm-hmm. But of course, this is all preliminary, unaudited pro forma information, so that could change. Uh, but still we need uh, we just we, we hope that none of the fed governors will open their mouth between <laughs> now between now and June 30th and just let the rally continue okay. um, I also wanted to introduce to you uh, the newest member of our team uh, I don't know if he's on video yes. he is Harrison Pierce uh, and Harrison Can we put him? Yeah, if he is. If he is, he yeah, wants to Yeah, he's there. Yeah, okay. He's there. If yeah, we I'm can't here. See, Everyone. Okay. <laughs> Hi, we can't see you, um, but we know you're there. So he's I can see him.
4: <laughs> this video's on.
5: Okay we, okay, we can't see it here. Oh, there oh. it is. Yeah, uh, okay. So he will join us as of uh, June 26th as a junior analyst on the team. Okay. And he's just completing his uh, master's in business analytics at San Luis Obispo. Cal Poly and where he just got a bachelor's last year uh, In finance and economics. So he continued on for a fifth year And so we are really thrilled to have him join ORS on the 26th
2: Great well, welcome to our new employee just a quick question on the uh, 6.89% fiscal year to date Uh, so that's based on the public markets as of two days ago and private markets as of Q4 calendar that's year. That's right. I mean are we guess. likely to see a rise or fall in the public market valuations in the succeeding two quarters? In the public market or the private? The private yeah, markets.
5: Yeah. The private market, well, I mean, the public markets are up, yeah. so there's a lag. Uh-huh. And private managers like the fact that public markets are up, so
2: they don't have to write down their portfolios. Okay, so there's no <laughs> tendency for them to write down for another quarter before they write up, or I guess what I'm asking is we oh should ask Casey Boyer when she's <laughs> on. Uh, okay, so I'm just I trying to determine: are we likely to s- close out the year, assuming we we cover these last five trading sessions? Yeah, so are we going to see it at 6.89 or higher, lower, yeah. or I I hope it will be higher than six and five eighths. Let me just put it
5: Okay. That's at the
6: office mm-hmm. says
2: 7.03, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure why you got that number. Okay. Well, that, uh, how you re- have your private <laughs> book, I don't know. Yeah. And, and by the <laughs> way, healthcare is up 8.26%. So wow. Yeah. Okay. So there's some cushion
6: there. And okay. there's no
2: private
5: markets in healthcare. Okay.
2: So, that's so, so not only is it a, we're beating our discount rate for the year or likely to, I believe it'll be at least the third year in a row that we are beating it on an actuarial value. Yeah. But we have 10 days to go. 10 days, I, I, yes, I hear you. No, James you James you James. qualified it yes, uh, yes. fully, uh, yes. CIO Pervo. All right,
5: thank you. Uh, okay. With that, uh, if there are no questions, I'm gonna invite Ms. Casey Boyer. Hi everyone, nice to be
1: here. Can everyone hear me okay? Yes.
7: Uh-huh.
1: Perfect, um, okay, let me share my screen we are going to do our typical, um, we're gonna do our typical quarterly report um, for the uh, private equity partnership that we have with you all and and go over, I'm happy to go over also some of the market dynamic. Um, Just to cover this page, in terms of 2022 it overall the year was kind of down to par and what i mean by that is there were some quarters that the valuations were down and some where valuations were about par so when we're looking at q4 specifically currently the net multiple is at 1.8 one time. Um, And if you look and compare that to Q3, the Q3 multiple was 1.79. So really a similar valuation to Q3. Um, We have not yet released Q1 numbers, but when we look at our platform overall, and this isn't speaking to your program specifically but if we look overall at the market and q1 the q1 numbers look to be slightly up and and by that I mean one percent two percent so again relatively on par quarter to quarter Um, I know as you mentioned um for the year 2022 publics were definitely down private equity investments were also down slightly. However, the difference in in some comparison when you're looking between public and private, typically um, private equity are not written up and down to the extent that public markets are. So if a public market goes up significantly, private equity, wouldn't go up quite as much so when you're seeing write downs in the public market that happens as well with private equity there are typically some write downs but it's not quite as drastic as the public markets and and it is on more of a lag um so when we're looking forward to q1 we don't expect a lot of change either um the other highlighting point um on this page is you know just kind of a reminder this is currently a $350 million program. We're continuing to commit um, in a very um, calculated way. We work very closely with staff on investment pacing and the investments we're putting into the portfolio. Over Q4, there was a net distribution back to the program of about $2.5 million. Um, And um, that is Again, kind of on par with with what we would expect um, overall moving forward for the program. I'm gonna I'm gonna move to um, the last page and just give you a little bit of update here in terms of the performance by investment type and the benchmarking of the program. Um, so. As I mentioned, Q4 overall was about on par, maybe slightly up. Um, When we look at that in terms of primaries, secondaries, and co-investments, looking at the TVPI, each one of these, again, was up very slightly. So it's nice to see that across the board, each type of investment is generating return. Um, And we've also added here for this quarter Um, the commitments on this page so that you can have an idea of where the capital is in comparison to the returns. This is a very um, typical allocation for us where we have um, a larger percentage to primary commitments that give a really good diversification to the underlying portfolio and then um, including secondaries and co-investments kind of on an opportunistic basis of what um, uh, the the best opportunities that we see at that time. That's mostly market-driven. And at the benchmark, you'll see how the overall program is benchmarking based on your net returns. Um, Like I said, for this quarter, a net multiple of 1.81 times with a net IRR of almost 25%. Um, All trending in the right direction. As a reminder, this is including investments that have just been made. So those investments have yet to generate um, any real return. So um, this is a continuing to develop program and and we are um, happy with where it's headed. So with that, I will open it up to any questions that you might have.
2: Uh, Thank you. Are there any questions from fellow trustees?
1: Uh, My only question
8: would be when would the next quarter information be available? So this is is the end of –
2: End of fiscal year. Yeah, fiscal year. I'm sorry, end of Uh, calendar calendar year, year. which is mid-fiscal year so w- do we tend to lack two, quarter or two lag quarters two quarters well, yeah one. Okay. This so the updated?
5: june 30th information will be here will be presented in august or september and at that time we will get the 331 information okay. for yeah for, pri- okay. for private markets so this
2: so our final fiscal year numbers all in would not be available until like
9: Denis? November. uh we should be able to internally know it by the end of july Although oh. the report would not be presented to the board until September. September. Okay.
2: F- for the end of fiscal for the year.
9: End of fiscal year as of June 30th. In okay. Including private markets in that number, including private markets because the custodian bank cuts off collecting statements in the middle of July, so two weeks after each quarter end, all the statements that come in, they, cal- they capture those.
2: Okay. so uh, Ch- Chandra, please.
10: I yeah, have <coughs> a question. You said TBPI was up in 2022, and I like to maybe dive in and understand how that was
2: possible i felt like all the multiples if someone's talking we
4: can't hear it i'm just
2: uh can you pull the mic maybe just is that better yeah yes Yes. okay great thank
10: you casey can you hear me now i
1: can Yes. thank you
10: sorry about that um you said tbp i just want to first make sure i understood tbpi was up for 2022 across the private equity portfolio
1: it it was about overall on par um maybe down just a little bit um the the way the valuations worked over 2022 was q1 q2 um they were q2 and q3 were down a little bit q1 of 22 was actually up a little bit and then um, for Q4, it was basically on par, a little bit up, um, so overall, um, I would say 2022 was about par.
10: Uh, and, and how did that end up, uh, just overall for the year, most multiple valuations were down, whether it's revenue, EBITDA, net income, so mm-hmm. I don't, what, what would this, how, how did that transpire, I guess, just from the bottoms up?
1: Yeah. Okay, I
10: didn't hear it. Per- I didn't hear the question perfectly. I, I, um, I can repeat it, uh, and I'll be more succinct. Um, what drove the net uh, n- no change over 21, given all of the multiples that are tracked in public and private markets were down in 2022 versus 2021 substantially?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I would say overall, it kind of goes back to what I'm saying where actually a lot of the GPs that we've been talking to and, and um, you know, underlying companies within this portfolio, um, a lot of the underlying financials have been tracking. Um, and so, you know, when we're, when GPs are Forming valuations, and I would say, especially for Q4, where they're going through a full audit, um, it it has not been a significant reason to write things down. I would also mention that um, when we look at private equity valuations, what we actually have historically seen is when there. If you look at an exit within private equity typically that exit is higher than where that GP was currently holding it the prior quarter. So I'm answering your question in a roundabout way because there's so many underlying portfolio companies and so many GPs that are valuing. Um, There definitely were companies where underlying financials were not positive, but I think as a whole, what we have been seeing in our portfolios is not exactly that that same sentiment where there are companies that are doing well. Um, There are certain sectors, industries that are doing well. And so overall, um, we just have not had a significant write down. There definitely were write downs. Venture was written down more significantly than buyout. And so, just when you factor in all of those items, uh, that's how the valuation turned out, kind of as from our platform as a whole and as well as in your program.
5: Well, oh,
7: oh it that doesn't
5: oh, make sense to me, but oh, okay. Oh, oh, over, <laughs> yeah. the, over the next few years, we'll I'm see the DPI's and then we'll figure out if the I mean, DPI's, DPI's are accurate. Yeah, DPI's or not.
10: I yeah. mean, look. If multiples are going down, then your growth rate has to go up across your portfolio to maintain the valuations, which did not happen across private equity or venture. But there's a lot of leeway that the auditors give these these funds, so yeah. we should take these numbers with a grain of salt. Anurag, well, if- we can't
4: hear you again. Are you pushing the button?
10: No, I'm. know uh, I was looking at Prabhu when I was talking to him. Here, I'll get it really close. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway. Just to say, I think we need to take those numbers with a grain of salt, but it's, I mean, it is what it is. It, you, you invest in private equity for a very long hold period. Um, auditors give uh, GPs, because I've been a GP and worked with auditors, a lot of leeway. Um, my bottom line is growth rates have to have gone up for the uh, valuations to stay the same, given multiples have gone down considerably. Venture has not been marked down nearly as much as it should have in 2022. So, um, You know, these are the reported accurate numbers, but but there is some reason to question them. Yep, yep, very fair point. To be doubtful. Yeah,
2: Yeah. all right. Well, as a follow up, as a procedural issue, uh, for Newberger Berman, uh, are you are we simply aggregating the reports of the various managers in reporting the valuations, or does Newberger Berman then take some judgment over and above that?
1: We look at all the valuations. We're talking to GPs quarterly um co-investments we especially um do actually all our own valuations um and and so there's also overlap between the co-investments we make that are also investments in primary funds so we look at everything very closely and if we have a different view we we make that we change that valuation to our view.
2: Okay, so this reflects your judgment on top of what was self-reported. Um, right. And maybe this is a question for Prabhu. So we have a total commitment of $350 million. That's back of the envelope, about 10% of our total portfolio. And yet private equity has a 4% asset allocation. So help, where am I going wrong in the math here? Private
5: equity is way more than 4%. Venture has
2: 4%. Oh, 8%. Okay. Um, Still 8 percent. eight percent. Eight percent, sorry. Still yeah. eight percent to ten percent. So that's th- that's close enough for government work.
9: <laughs> there there currently is an overweight because the plans overweight. had a larger allocation back in two thousand seventeen through okay. two thousand nineteen. Okay, great, thank you.
5: We can always increase the allocation. I'm sure you'll be happy to it. Well <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: okay, all right. Okay. Thank you, Casey. Thank you. Excuse okay. me.
5: So I'm going to uh, for item 2C is going to be Mark uh, Eric right Eric. So before Eric comes on, I did fail to mention in my oral update that uh, Roberta and I had a very very good visit with the Federated Retiree uh, mm-hmm. Employee Association, and Trustee Linder kindly introduced us, and they asked me a lot of tough questions and just Roberta was just throwing softballs and just. Um, <laughs> No, it was a good, it was a good meeting. They did have some, it was a very engaging audience and they had some good questions. Um, With that, I'm gonna introduce Eric. So uh, our consultant contact, Laura Wyrick, whom you all know very well, is out today. And so is Jared. And uh, so Eric's taking their place, so please be nice to him. He doesn't have the history of the system and what we've done, but I'm sure he's up to speed and
9: Laura has coached him well.
2: Try to keep our abuse to a minimum. Yes, please.
9: (laughs) Thank you. And uh, one quick note before Eric presents, I wanted to note a change on the private markets report. So historically, on the reports, we show a pure universe benchmark to compare our returns against a universe of similar strategies for certain vintage years. Historically, we used a service uh, provided by Cambridge. Last year, Cambridge began increasing their prices and restricting usage. So we couldn't use their data in public reports. So, both Newberger Berman and Makita had to seek alternative sources. So, Newberger Berman switched to using Burgess as their data source. Makita has been using Prequin over the last few quarters. Internally, we've been re- evaluating alternatives and we've contracted with Burgess recently. And this report will reflect Burgess data as pure benchmarking data. We found that Burgess had a really robust and large data set, a lot of good data scrubbing that they were doing and good representation. So they have over $10 trillion of private markets data that they capture within their universe.
2: And as a result of that change, did we find any changes in our benchmark results?
9: We did, yeah. So there were some that went up, some that went down as a result of that. But overall, I think it it no, seemed no. like a, a <coughs> good good comparison. Okay.
2: Great. Thank you for informing okay. us of
9: that. Thank An you, Eric.
11: Great, thank you. I'll share my screen. Um, Thank you for uh, welcoming to the team. Uh, We were planning to add me slowly over the next couple uh, meetings, but uh, it just happened that uh, both uh, individuals were out this quarter or this uh, meeting. So uh, they just kind of threw me in. So (laughs) we'll see how this goes. (laughs) Uh, Just really quickly. Laura did tell me to be relatively brief because she knows I can be long-winded. Looking at the overall private market program, I just want to bring your attention to the far right two columns. Uh, This is really just the efficacy of the decision to move to private markets. Uh, That's looking at the IRR of the different uh, components of your program uh, versus their public market uh, equivalent. And if you look down uh, those two uh, columns, you can see quite substantial value add. Uh, from the decision to move into private markets. So that's kind of the proof statement of why we're going through this report and why we've invested there. Uh, Moving on to private debt, Uh, you can see that overall the private debt uh, program has a commitment of $301 million uh, with an aggregate value of 122, uh, about $1 million, which equates to 4.4% of the overall system. Uh, which is above the three percent policy weight Uh, you can see that there were no new commitments uh, this quarter uh, but there are still uh, if you look at the cash flows net uh, contributions versus distributions uh, so far moving forward to uh, the different vintages and strategies uh, you can see that since 2017 when the program really became uh, more robust and built out uh, again, looking at those far two right columns, the IRR versus the peer IRR, IRR uh, is, is quite robust. Uh, pretty much every strategy going down the line uh, versus the peers until you get to uh, Eagle Point in 2020. Uh, Eagle Point uh, does have a fixed rate uh, loans versus floating rate. And even though these are high-yielding loans, the interest rate environment was so dramatic that it did cause uh, underperformance versus uh, its peers. Uh, Mm -hmm. The newer strategies, of course, uh, do not have enough history yet to uh, have meaningful results. Moving on to uh, the real asset program. Uh, This one is being ramped up, as you can see in the chart. Uh, It had a committed value of $92 uh, million. And uh, total fair value of assets is sixty-one million dollars for about two point two percent of the overall system versus a three percent target. As you can tell in the green line, it is ramping up relatively quickly uh, from twenty seventeen. There is one new commitment of eleven million dollars, which is HIG uh, IS Partners, and then if you look in the cash flows. Uh, you can see that uh, there are still net contributions versus distributions uh, so far. Moving forward to vintages and strategies, uh, similar story uh, where if you look at the far right two columns uh, since 2017, uh, relatively strong results across the board uh, versus uh, the peer group. A little bit less so than private debt, but still quite strong. Uh, Looking at real estate, uh, committed uh, value of $280 million with a fair value of $110 million, which equates to just shy of 4% of the overall assets of the system versus 3% for the target weight. Uh, There is one new commitment for the quarter for $13 million. uh, That's DRA uh, master, and if you look at the contributions versus distribution, much more balanced as you would expect from uh, a longer uh, dated portfolio, uh, one with more vintages. Uh, Again, looking at the far right uh, columns, if you kind of focus in on 2017 and down, uh, a little bit more mixed results uh, than we've seen in some of the other ones, uh, but overall uh, quite strong uh, performance. Here's the individual strategies. Again, moving down uh, the list, uh, relatively strong. The one I would point out is the um, Ipso-5, where you do see that negative return versus uh, about 12% return for uh, peers. Uh, That's a European-focused fund, and European real estate, uh, given everything that's happened uh, in Europe, uh, has struggled. And then also currency headwinds, given the strong dollar last year. Uh, finally moving on to venture capital Uh, obviously this is uh, really just starting out uh, in terms of growing as a program Uh, it's just ramping up there's no new commitments uh, this quarter uh, but you're seeing in the cash flow chart that uh, you're seeing capital called only two uh, vintages uh, but neither of them have meaningful irrs yet as they are too new to produce actual returns Uh, that was going to (laughs) be the last of my comments, and I I'd see if there's any questions. 2020
10: uh, is our first vintage in venture, vintage year?
5: Uh, well, we had some exposure through, through newburger Berman, but after the boards made a car dedicated allocation, yeah. I think our first
9: was innovation, right? Was it Correct, 2020? first uh, yeah. direct within the venture capital asset class. That was Did I clear. miss
10: Newberger reporting on the previous venture then?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
9: yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, we had a couple of legacy uh, investments through Newburger in venture. Yes, we do. And they do report those and they benchmark those against the uh, venture capital universe within the Newberger report. So we're not able to s- extricate out those venture investments from that portion of the Newberger report. Okay, program. because
10: I, in the last presentation, I
9: didn't hear venture broken out specifically. Right.
10: Uh, Newburgers report they did have venture. Th-
9: they do report on it. Yeah. It's a relatively small portion. It's a very about small 90%. What
10: vintage? What was it? Twenty nineteen? Uh, no, it was earlier
9: than that. And Seventeen through eighteen, yeah. primarily. And
5: and you don't. Any
10: DPI? Any DPI coming? Four or five. Yeah. I'm more curious, and uh, I know it's small, very very small. But out of curiosity, did we get DPI out of that very very small allocation?
12: Uh,
9: if you give me a moment, I can pull it up. Yeah. yeah can we? There is, there's 8.7 million of distributions relative to 33 million of commitments. So there have been some distributions. Better than I would have thought. It's, yeah, it's 2017, 16,
5: so slightly better than, yeah. Thank you.
8: I have another question looking at um, the real estate program. And um, it shows 2019, 2020, and 2020. It shows not meaningful IRRs. I am not sure why that. Is there for the last three things for
11: compared to peers? Twenty-one through
9: twenty-three. I'm looking. S- yeah, I, I can uh, jump in on that. So the process that Makita has to report on this is that there needs to be eight quarters of performance before they start reporting performance.
8: Okay.
6: So if
9: those haven't reached the eight quarters just okay. yet.
2: Okay. Any other questions from the trustees? On on the real estate. Uh, portfolio. Uh, we approached this at the last meeting, but would you care to comment on the degree of exposure we might have to specifically to downtown office, so that's right. th- and, and whether or not that's <laughs> been, you know, adequately revalued given current market conditions?
9: Sure. So we actually have limited exposure to office overall. We did a we do an annual update on our sector exposure. So as of June 30th of 2022, 16% of the growth real estate portfolio was allocated towards the office sector, although that includes non-downtown office Mm -hmm. primarily. So uh, very, very limited exposure, not meaningful towards the the type of office that's being impacted Mm -hmm. um, by by the headwinds, especially recently there's been some headlines within San Francisco, um, Los Angeles, New York, and many, uh, many investments that are being handed back to the lenders. But within the growth real estate portfolio, it is very insulated. There is a few assets within the core real estate portfolio, but that's also an area where the exposure is quite limited. So, for core real estate, we have a 15% allocation towards the office sector. That's an 8% underweight to the overall index. So, less exposure, more of it allocated towards growth markets, although there are a few assets that are affected, so not mm-hmm. completely immune, but sure. less affected.
2: Okay, thank you. Any any other trustee questions?
10: A bit of a follow-up to that. Sure. Is it possible to see our real estate exposure uh, based on asset types, like single mm-hmm. family, multi-family, commercial?
9: We do that on an annual basis, so we haven't quite updated that as of the June 30th of this year yet, but we do have that available and we can provide that
2: okay thank you is is that something we can review in the ic at at our next meeting absolutely Absolutely. okay
5: okay great thank Thank you you. Uh, all right so 3ds uh, eric as well
11: all right moving on to the performance report uh go to page five if you're following along uh just make a few comments on the market and try to keep it relatively short uh, looking at year to date and this is uh through June uh or actually is this I think this excuse is me um I e- hate April. to interrupt
4: but can you please move your mic closer because you're kind of cutting in and out
11: absolutely is that better yes thank you oh thanks for letting me know uh so this is actually through April 30th uh so if you look at year to date it's almost uh kind of the mirror image of what you saw last year and I uh, just kind of want to put perspective, I know you've talked about it in depth, but put perspective around last year. It was in many ways kind of uh, unprecedented. And I say that not because of you know U.S. equities being down 18, 20%. Uh, we expect that every seven to 10 years. Uh, that's not really abnormal. What was abnormal was seeing both equities and fixed income down at the same time. Uh, there was only three other times in basically the history of the stock market going back to 1929, uh, where you saw equities and fixed income down at the same time. Uh, So that's a very rare event. If you look at the 47 year history of the uh, Bloomberg aggregate, uh, which you see is down 13%, uh, including last year, uh, it's only been down five five calendar years. uh, The worst other was negative 3%. So uh, it really was an unprecedented year. And you're kind of seeing a reversion to the mean happening uh, year to date Overall, uh, if you kind of extend that uh, uh, through uh, the end of last month, we're actually now in a or last couple of days, we're now in a bull market. Uh, yeah. The market hit its low uh, back in October uh, of last year. And so we've had a very short uh, bear market and the market was down about 25%. And now we're up about 21, 22% uh, from that market low. So uh, unbelievably, we're actually in a uh, kind of bull market again. Uh, I would kind of caveat that and not to be the you know, bearer in the room or uh, some I had a client uh, upgrade my master's degree to a PhD and they called me Dr. Doom. So hopefully <laughs> you don't view me that way. Uh, but if you look at kind of what's driving the market, there's actually seven tech stocks uh, that have driven 90 plus percent of the return of the S&P 500. So uh, it's really concentrated in terms of what is actually driving the market. If you look at... Uh, how many stocks are actually uh producing negative returns here to date it's actually what was it 281 firms so more than half of the s p 500 is in negative territory uh overall the average stock in the s p 500 is only up about three percent so it really is a concentrated market and it's very large uh we're at pretty much the most concentrated we've been in the history kind of going back to the uh telecom crisis where uh, if you look at just the top five names, uh, it's about a quarter of the overall S&P 500. We go out to the top 10 names, about a third of the S&P 500. So a very concentrated market. And if you look at the number of firms that have outperformed the S&P 500 year to date, it's only about 25%. So I would not want to be an active stock picker um, in this market. You have a, a 75% chance of underperforming. Uh, so. I just wanna kinda of make those general comments uh, before we get into the portfolio, uh, moving on. So
8: I had a, a, a oh, question, yeah. I think
11: that, our comment, I think that the
8: um, reasons tech stocks are up so much is the enthusiasm about AI, and so I think there's a question about how that will play out, it, I think it has huge potential, but the question is, is it near-term or short-term results? And then I would also um, comment that um, we had had a we've the Fed announced a pause in, in raising interest rates, but there could be another um, round. So that I think that, to your point, could have another um, depressing impact mm-hmm. should
11: once that happens again. Agreed.
2: Hopefully, <laughs> only short term.
11: Only short term. Yes. Hopefully, we get two weeks before anything happens. Yes, <laughs> exactly.
10: Although, in <laughs> a bit of good news, the, the number of stocks that have been rallying has broadened since yeah. in the last few days. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm more in your camp, but, uh, and I'm not sure AI is driving it. it. It's tough to tell at this point.
8: Well, I know NVIDIA is up because of AI. and. and demand for chips and things they, like they're that.
10: They're up because the demand for chips is insane. Yeah. And, and it's that's real. That's not that's projected. Real. Because everyone is investing in LLMs or MLMs, and the only processors you can use right now are GPUs because the right. AI, AIML accelerators just aren't on the market yet. So that, that's real. That's not perspective.
5: Yeah.
10: And, and the fact that everyone knows that the Fed
5: is going to raise again means it's priced into the market. So unless the Fed re- shocks you, if we expect a 25 basis point hike, and they shock you with a 50 basis point That's when the market can flip. Otherwise, it's pretty much expected at this point.
2: If the Fed surprises you, they haven't done their job. (laughs) They (laughs) try
12: to
11: foretell their their moves as much as possible. Please proceed. Thank you. Uh, Going to page 28, uh, looking Mm -hmm. at the current asset allocation versus target, I only wanted to pull up this slide to show you that overall, the program uh, sits pretty close to target. Uh, You see some. Uh, minor uh, deviations, but very close to target overall. Going to performance, uh, looking at the quarter uh, as of March 31st, uh, the overall aggregate uh, plan was up 3.8%, 4.2% for the fiscal year, uh, negative 2.8% for the one year, uh, then very strong over the three and five year periods at 12.6 and 6.9%. Uh, What I really want to point your attention to is if you go all the way down that line uh, to the investment um, metrics, public DB greater than $1 billion rank. Uh, And if you look over the meaningful time periods of one, three, and five years, uh, you you can see exceedingly strong uh, performance, uh, 15, 15, and 22. Uh, That's very good uh, peer relative results. Um, I wasn't gonna go through uh, individual asset classes or managers, uh, but uh, because the team on Makita's end wanted to make my first meeting a little bit more difficult than it needed to be, uh, we did find an error in our report. Uh, if you go to page 36 uh, with the COTAC, uh, I believe it's pronounced, uh, Indian Midcap Fund, uh, we have uh, we had the wrong peer group in this. Uh, we had the Uh, European peer group as uh, the peer group, and we've corrected that, uh, provided it to staff, and they will update uh, the uh, reports, the public reports uh, as well. But uh, we did find that error, so I want to make sure we did note that before we moved on. Uh, Going to what I think are the most interesting pages, uh, kind of gives you the glimpse of the overall plan and Uh, kind of the decisions that uh, you as a board staff, uh, your consultants and asset managers have made that's kind of aggregating it all together and then looking at how efficient it is relative to peers. If you look, uh, this is a one year period uh, for the returns which is the far left. You can see that the plan is in the top quartile in terms of the returns it's generating but more importantly, if you look to the next uh, column, the next dev stats, you can see that in terms of the risk it's taking to earn that top quartile returns is right about median, uh, actually slightly below median in terms of overall risk. And so that's a very uh, advantageous or uh, you know, a spot you really want to strive to be in, uh, which shows up in the next uh, two charts, which is the Sharp ratio and the Sortino ratio. Uh, where you can see you're in top quartile in those. So that's return per unit of risk, Uh, essentially how efficient the portfolio is. And you can see that the portfolio is highly efficient, uh, not just relative to peers, but just uh, from an absolute standpoint. Moving to three years, uh, very similar results. Uh, You can see that the plan is in the top quartile and again, risk uh, in order to re- you know generate that return was sitting right about median, uh, which generated uh, top quartile, right at quartile, top quartile uh, sharp ratios, and then the five year, uh, which you know by time you get to five years or so, take out any luck or uh, investment noise uh, or most of it. Uh, again, you still see the same theme though. You see yeah. uh, returns top quartile. And then uh, risk, you know, still below median, almost uh, bottom quartile in terms of risk. Uh, and then t- uh, top quartile, uh, sharp ratio. So a very efficient portfolio. So uh, that's you know, my big takeaway. These are the charts I tend to look at when viewing the overall portfolio. I think too much time often with different plans, not so sure about this plan. It gets uh, you know, bogged down on in individual managers, but this is you know, really what you should be paying attention to.
10: Question for you. First of all, um, our risk reward to to just dumb it down is amazing, so congratulations to the staff. I mean, this is the work that we've been doing for four years to change the governance and investment policy and uh, delegation to the CIO and a lot of moving the battleship, so it's really great to see it manifest. We don't get any guidance on how much risk we should be taking from other stakeholders who could help us understand what our bank looks like at the poker table, so (laughs) Uh in the absence of that, we have worked with Veris to try and come up with our own sense of what's a responsible risk level. Given how good we've been, would you increase the risk?
11: That's a very difficult question. Um, It's an unfair question. It is, (laughs) especially for my first meeting. (laughs) Uh, Very, very difficult question. I, I would look at the return you're generating and I would argue that that return is relative to what you need to become fully funded and what your funding needs are and to meet contributions is significantly high enough to meet those needs. Now I, I, I think Eileen's dying
5: to answer that question. <laughs> I'm going to ask her too. Which <laughs> she will <laughs> soon, yeah.
11: yeah. It's unfair to ask him in his first meeting, yeah. but it's not unfair to ask Eileen. <laughs> so I, I would just argue you're, you're generating the rate of return that you need. Um, you, are, you do have a low-risk portfolio, yeah. so it, it's, there's always trade-offs, and there's, it's investments. There's no right answer. There's there's always trade-offs. Agreed and well said. (laughs) Eileen won't get off that easy though.
10: (laughs) Watch out for the next meeting.
11: (laughs) Were there any other questions on the performance? If not, I'll move to uh, the healthcare and I'm gonna be very quick on this one. Uh, Actually real quick. uh, Asset allocation, very close to target, so uh, no big deviations there. You do see a little overweight to core real estate. Uh, that's the little bit private within the portfolio. And just because of the lag nature and appraisal nature, uh, it is slower to adjust uh, versus the rest of the portfolio being purely public. Uh, and so you do see a little bit of an overweight there. Looking at performance, quarter to date, uh, 4%, fiscal year to date, uh, quite strong, uh, 5.6. One year, negative 4.3, and then three year, 9.6. I don't actually tend to look at the uh, peer rankings with health and welfare funds. Uh, The liability structure of the different plans are so diverse that I don't think it's a kind of a fair comparison versus you know what you get with a traditional pension plan so uh just to point them out so we're not hiding fiscal year to date, uh 11th percentile drops to 60th for the one year then back up to 10th percentile for the three year um, and i was just going to leave it there uh, unless if there's any questions i guess i should show you the these charts they're less flattering but that's because of the peer group more than what you're actually seeing if you look at uh the uh, sharp ratio. If you look at the three-year sharp ratio, still very strong sharp ratio, so very efficient portfolio. Great.
2: Any questions from trustees? Okay, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, thank you, Eric. Uh, you can report that you escaped yeah. unscathed. Thank
5: you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we get to 3F, and I'm gonna invite Veris, and this is a very important agenda item. So about once in five years, we poll our stakeholders. Well, we poll our trustees. We Mm -hmm. try to poll our other stakeholders. Have we tried to poll our other stakeholders? Uh, We did last time, but we didn't get – we drew a blank there. So this time I'm not sure. So Eileen can uh, educate you on that. Uh, But nevertheless, this is important because, you know, return follows risk. Based on the risk you take is how much return you can get. And and we have – Operated with an absolute risk level of 12% based on the work that we did five years ago And so it was time to revisit that which is what eileen and team have done and uh, There's some really important takeaways here, so with that i'll turn this over to eileen
0: Well, uh, thank you prabhu and uh good morning trustees and um, thank you trustee chandra for kind of setting us up <laughs> <Appreciate> That <laughs> it wasn't planned um, I'm going to go into full screen mode, so hopefully, yeah, there we go. Um, so we uh, are going to Eileen um, Neal at Verus, and my colleague Mark Gazelle, who is also a consultant and part of our risk team at Verus. Um, um, excuse me. Can
4: I make the same request of you? Can you move your mic closer?
0: Okay. Well, is that better? <laughs> uh, just a little. Okay. Um, yeah. Just a little better. I feel like I'm booming.
4: Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Um, so, so as you uh, all know, we every couple of years uh, we recommend actually revisiting the uh, risk profile on a sort of go-forward basis, which reflects the risk tolerance and risk objectives of you as trustees for the fund. And so we undertook a survey, so we're going to provide you with the results of the survey, kind of remind you of the process that we undertook. And we'll focus on the key takeaways. We do in the appendix have the detailed survey questions and responses when, for your for your information, but we won't be covering those in detail. And then we do have um, some uh, so overall concluding comments as well as recommendations regarding the risk limit. Okay, I'm going to have to. Uh, doesn't. Okay, sorry, I'm going to have to um, not be in full screen uh, in order to control the slides. So in terms of the survey process, we um, did this exercise back in 2018 where we um, spoke with you all individually as well as I think ultimately collectively collected information uh, similar to this process and arrived at that time um, at the uh, risk limit objective or risk maximum of 12%. And our view is that you know setting your risk tolerance for a fund is reflective of a long-term objective and so as such it should not be revisited more frequently than say anywhere from a three to five year period. Five year probably optimal. So we're at that point now and in November we distributed a survey via SurveyMonkey to uh, both all of you, as well as the uh, police and fire trustees. And we did have a good response rate. Basically, out of the 15 trustees, we did have 12 respondents. and. In addition to the survey, which was quite detailed, we did conduct follow-up interviews with about 50% of you um, that, that e- expressed a desire to discuss uh, the survey and your responses and thoughts in more detail.
2: Before you go much further, yeah. can just have some clarification on the, what the 12% means? Is it the standard deviation of the volatility within a single year or w- over five years or how are how you define the 12%? Yes,
0: yeah, a very good question, okay. Trustee Horowitz, thank you. The 12% risk limit would apply to uh, at any point in time because it's based on forward looking risk as opposed to the Standard deviation of returns that Makita shows is basically backward-looking, what we call ex post, So that is your actual risk experience, which in large degree is going to be driven by not just the decisions you make, but the level of risk that is present in the market, right? So if you think about measures of risk, like for the S&P, it's the VIX right? That tells you what the actual current, you know, um, uh, ex-post risk is or ex-ante risk is in the market, so forward-looking. So when we're setting this risk limit, it's on a forward-looking basis, but we're monitoring it. As you know, we're actually monitoring it monthly along with uh, your uh, chief risk officer, Eric, as well as presenting to you quarterly what that forward looking what the market is telling what's built into all of the markets in which you invest on a go forward basis at that kind of point in time based on more more recent signals related to risk if you will without going into a lot of the details so it's any point in time it's a limit so you're you're setting your your limit and The purpose of the limit is if, in fact, you exceed it because of, again, perhaps what we're seeing in the markets, that may prompt a decision at that time. The purpose of it is to prompt a discussion, a review, and a decision about do we want to maybe go a little bit more risk off so that we're within our limit if we find ourselves outside of that limit because Um, that is sort of the maximum risk we all collectively decided we were comfortable taking. And I don't know if probably- But that number is
13: an an annual number. Annual number. Yeah, Yeah. yeah,
5: it's a standard deviation and it's annual. Uh, It's annualized. Yeah, yeah, annualized. And so as Eileen, not to get technical, but ex ante means that looking ahead. So when we build our asset allocation, we use an ex ante number of 12% um uh, you know in the hope that future risk patterns will follow the past and it mm-hmm. may not be so i'm actually i look very closely at exposed because i actually want to see what a realized risk is so, so that's something that we we track as a group as well
2: so if it's analogous to something like the vix so that means we might momentarily exceed and by momentarily i mean days weeks or months even uh, but certainly in weeks where we exceed the 12% and then fall back, this doesn't concern us at all, or uh, what do we think about well, the, the, mean, the fluctu- say, fluctuations yeah. in, a, in a number like VIX? Yes.
5: I mean, that's, that's just one part of the equation, mm-hmm. right, just looking at the VIX. And it's, it's not that it doesn't concern us. I think mm-hmm. we should certainly look at it every time it breaches the 12%. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a, a very, very imperfect science. Right. And even the calculation of the risk, the risk number itself you can question, right? This mm-hmm. is really 12%, right? I mean, We think it's 12%. So it's based on, it's a multi-factor approach. It's based on the Bara risk model. And so it's, it's in general, risk systems tend to be more stable than return predictions. So you would think that in the long run that it, it holds reasonably, mm-hmm. but why this is all important? and Eileen will tie this up, tie this in later, is does it put stress on our sponsor? Otherwise, we don't care. I mean, I could be at 15% risk Mm -hmm. because I can get to a fully fully funded ratio much sooner with a 15% risk level than a 12% risk level. Mm -hmm. But we're also cognizant of the stresses that it puts on our sponsor because if you have a 15% risk level as opposed to a 12% risk level, in the event of a drawdown, we will lose a lot more money, and therefore the contributions Mm -hmm. from our sponsor are more, which impacts the sponsor a lot. But just to make Harvey happy, I will (laughs) say that we always put our beneficiaries first. (laughs) We are fiduciaries to our beneficiaries, and everything else is
2: secondary. Thank you for those clarifications.
5: And, And
0: I think it's also important to understand this is a limit, and the objective is to set it above your target risk exposure, which was the case when this was set back in 2018, your actual sort of risk, target risk exposure as a result of your asset allocation at that time was less than 10%. Yeah, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we're gonna touch on that <coughs> in a moment. So the, the focus of the questions in the risk tolerance survey w- was to basically help us understand these five categories, related to um, ultimately the, the factors that determine that limit or appropriate limit for, for this fund. So we explored from, we, we tried to glean from you all what your individual objectives are as they're related to risk. Is it in fact to um, improve your funded status or to exceed the discount rate or assumption or whatever Um, We you know, we gave you choices and then you rank them and the same was true with risk priorities time horizon and we we focused on time horizon from two Categories if you will you as a, a board set the strategic direction of the fund so there's a time horizon associated with that strategic objective, but then Staff has been delegated implementation authority. That's the um, activities associated with identifying managers and strategies to implement to ultimately achieve your objective. So the time horizons associated with those two important decision-making components. And then investment philosophy. How, what are your respective views? You know, where are you on a spectrum, if you will, with different investment approaches that ultimately <coughs> feed into your risk tolerance. And then lastly, governance, because the board governance drives or, or or facilitates to some degree your ability to take risk and how you take risk. So those are the areas that we focused our questions. And so now we're going to just provide you um, a summary of what your responses collectively reflected in those five areas. So, with respect to risk objectives, you were pretty unanimous. In fact, you're, this board and the police and fire board, I think, were also unanimous that the most important objective with respect to risk taking is to um, uh, improve the sustainability, the long-term sustainability of the plan. So focused on that funded status, volatility, and to meet or exceed the plan's actuarial rate of return. So those you all unanimously um, responded were your main risk objectives. And as a result of that being your main risk objective, you indicated a willingness to actually maintain your current risk target. And remember that you just set in in this past May as a result of the asset allocation exercise you went through or even increase (coughs) your current risk target. So there is a very healthy appetite for risk taking that you expressed as a group because of that focus on enhancing the sustainability, the long-term sustainability of the plan. However, you also indicated that um, that notwithstanding that you are um, concerned about return volatility and drawdowns, that uh, that would be sort of a secondary consideration in terms of your risk objective is to have a focus on, um, you know, Um, managing the risk in a way that um, you're focused on the drawdowns associated with your risk targets. You you also indicated that you're not too concerned with what we call headline or maverick risk or even illiquidity, so that's important because that factors into, again, the types of uh, risk exposures that you're willing to accept in the fund. With respect to time horizon, um, again, as a group, you believe that staying the course, setting that strategic objective and then staying the course uh, over a long period of time was was really how you wanted to reflect your strategic decision making. So not interested in tactical decisions or tactical deviations once you've set that strategic objective. the time horizons were sort of split. Some of you said you know three to seven years was appropriate for reevaluating strategic decisions, and then there were some of you that said you know ten years and greater than ten years. But what those responses reflected was actually in conflict with what you, what in practice you do, and and that is is that every year you're taking a fair amount of time to revisit that strategic decision through the asset allocation setting process. I mean, that's why we, we we started that back, I think in December and just finished that in May. Yet your responses were, well, actually, we should be doing that maybe at least three years, if not more, like five to 10 years. And so um, in discussions with staff about the results, you know, we, we recommend that you align your practice with your, what you indicated is actually your time horizon for making the strategic decisions and that is maybe moving to a three to five year cycle for setting that asset allocation target. If you were (coughs) to do that, you actually would be in line with your peers because your peers typically revisit that decision to the depth that you do annually on a three to five year basis. And so that's one recommendation that comes out of um, our review of your survey results. Um, The second component of Time Horizon is that implementation decision. And, And you were pretty uniform as were the fire and police that well, while we revisit our strategic decisions every, you know, let's call it five years, we want to review that implementation decision maybe in a shorter time horizon, so more like three years. And and actually, that, again, is appropriate to have a shorter time horizon associated with implementation because strategic is your long-term, what really drives your asset allocation. The majority of your return and risk comes from that. But your implementation decision does afford some flexibility in terms of maybe either tactical implementation or certainly changing out strategies and, and, and monitoring those strategies and the efficacy of the decisions associated with implementation over a shorter time horizon, three to five years. And that is aflo- appropriately captured in your investment policy and aligns with practices for monitoring those decisions. In terms of investment philosophy, um, it was interesting that a majority of you indicated that um, in in addition to your strategic decision-making, which is setting your, quote, beta or market exposures, that you did believe that you can actually achieve alpha to help close the gap or enhance the return relative to that actuarial return rate, which is currently 6.6%, which happily it looks like you're going to exceed this year, right? So um, so that's uh, an important data point because that uh, feeds into the fact that you do employ currently a combination of active and passive strategies. Um, Also most of you indicated that you're comfortable with the current program of reflecting a complex mix of different strategy types and multiple asset classes that you're comfortable with having mm-hmm. a lot of diversification and so forth. So so that that confirms the um, actual program um, structure in, in implementation. Um, and then you uh, also indicated though that you realize there's some areas where taking active risk and and, and believing that or having a conviction that alpha can be um, uh, generated from that active risk uh, is really more uh, associated with the private markets. So not so much public markets, but in the private markets. And then certainly your program reflects that you have a large passive exposure in your public markets. Um, and, and then you also were pretty, um, tight around that level of alpha that you expect for active risk and 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 basically that's a 30 to 60 basis point range and and that is for a fund of this size and complexity that is uh unacceptable from our perspective as um sort of practitioners evaluating lots of funds performance That is a reasonable level of value added. It's probably a little more on the conservative side and it's probably lower than what you can probably, what you can achieve, what we would expect the fund to achieve. And then lastly, the governance structure. Everyone um, expressed uh, a, a high degree of comfort with the fact that The strategic decision is is the purview of the board, but implementation decision, the purview of the staff, and there was a lot of confidence. Again, very uniform in terms of the confidence in the um, implementation abilities of staff. So that, uh, from a high level, is what we gleaned from the results. Now, as as Prabhu alluded to, it wasn't just um, the inputs that we derived from your Responses to our surveys, but we actually went to your actuary and collected information related to the liability side of the fund because your risk uh, limit that that we're talking about today has to be reflective of the holistic picture, not only the strategic decisions that you make, but the. the the implications or the ramifications on the ability of the sponsor to be able to continue funding um, at the risk level, if you will, that you all have determined um, that that, that is appropriate for the fund to reflect. So I'm gonna um, turn it over to Mark to help you understand how we integrated that information into the responses that we received to you from our survey.
13: Thanks, Eileen. So, um, the next few slides, we're going to take you into the weeds a little bit, um, really just to demonstrate support for a recommendation we're going to make uh, to adjust some of the risk limits expressed in the in the investment policy statement, for the reasons that Eileen has already covered. Uh, on this page, the, the framework, I, I think you've seen this before, but it shows the role played by those limits, uh, specifically how total fund volatility limit, which, as you know, is now set at 12%. Um, and that number, it sort of fits into that box at top, which is is the volatility of the total fund. But you can look at that as an expression of the board's risk tolerance, which you see there in the, the box at the lower right. Um, And it also acts as a control on on the metrics that really matter most, in particular future funded status, which is that box there on the lower left. On the next page, so in addition to that that overall 12% risk limit, the investment policy statement uh, currently lists a few other related risk metrics uh, among those that relate most directly to the sensitivities expressed in the survey are a 5% probability of falling below a 60% funded ratio uh, and a 30% average of the three worst historical drawdowns in the risk model. And today, uh, we are recommending that those limits also be adjusted um, in order to stay in alignment with the total fund risk limit. Um, We show this on a subsequent page, but here um, on page Seven, with Chiron's assistance, uh, we're showing you where you currently are in relation to those limits. Um, and I'm just going to hit a couple of highlights here. Uh, a particular interest are the top line um, of the top chart there, where it says baseline. Uh, you see the funded ratio of 57 percent, and that simply means that you know that 60 percent limit um, doesn't really make sense uh, at this point. So what does make sense is, is, is the 47.7%, or let's round it up to 48%, you see on that, that 25% drawdown line. So, And I'm, I'm going to explain why that makes more sense. Um, because on the next page, um, we're going to show that there is less than a 5% chance of a 25% drawdown at the 13% risk limit. So if you look on page 8, and you go down just below the red line, it says 13% risk. And you see in that first column, it says minus 22%. So that uh, is what we call value at risk, or VAR, or VAR for short. Um, so 5% of the time, your return is going to be better than minus 22%. So as you see, 22% falls between 20 and 25% we saw on the previous page. Um, So we're going to recommend basing the new funded status limit on the 25% drawdown scenario uh, so that it is not actually more restrictive than the 13% risk limit, uh, which is the board's primary metric for controlling total fund risk.
0: And and it's important to remember that, again, when the 12% current limit was set, your risk target on a go-forward basis was 9%. Today, under the new policy, you're actually setting a target at tw- it was 12.1%, to, to be specific. But your target is now your limit. And remember, we want the limit to be above your target so that there is room for when you do have some volatility that, you know, there isn't a requirement or there wouldn't be a requirement for you as a board to, to revisit that that risk exposure or your asset allocation. So by setting the limit higher, and we're not giving it the kind of spread that, that we gave you before, because um, the, uh, when you look at market volatility, that 13% is on, it's a lot higher. <laughs> And, and so uh, your target is higher. And again, that's reflective of your collective view that we're willing, because we have a very long time horizon, we're willing to take um, as much risk as we can, being cognizant of, of these drawdowns, potential drawdowns that that uh, entails, that Mark just covered. So we uh, think a 13% does give enough room at least based on where we see risk levels today and and what the recent experience has been to give you some cushion so you don't have to be revisiting your strategic target in a uh, short-term period so so that is a, a recommendation that we are making in addition to revisiting your investment policy statement with respect to the level of drawdowns and the um, probability of falling short of your funded status.
3: May I ask one question? So, at police and fire, they stayed at 12%, and the recommendation from VARIS was at 12%. Here, for federated, we're less funded. And so, um, could you explain the rationale for suggesting a 13%? I understand that um, the two plans are different, but could you give us the rationale?
0: Well, that is the rationale. The two plans are different, and their current risk target that they set is at 11 percent, while the uh, uh, asset allocation that was set by Federated last month is actually at 12 percent. So the um, risk limit of 12 percent is okay for police and fire because their risk target is below that. They have Mm -hmm. a cushion. But for federated, because the new risk target is actually 12%, they need a higher risk limit so that there's some cushion um, for, for for fluctuation around that target.
5: Can I, can I also add to sure. that? Uh, so, so what it means is, you know, the higher your funded status is, the less risk your plan needs to take, right? So as you get close to 100, I think Harvey's mentioned this before, you don't need to take as much risk, right? And so given the fact that federated is less funded, uh, there is room to take more risk. Uh, Whether it's actually exercised or not is a different question, but there's certainly room to take more risk.
3: I see, okay, thank you.
13: And then just another, a couple of points on this page, and then we'll get back out of the weeds is, uh, if you look at that that first column, the difference between 12 and 13%, in terms of drawdown is a, a minus 20% drawdown versus a minus 22% drawdown. So i just like to highlight that th- this is not a large adjustment. It's, it's a marginal adjustment. Uh, and then on the 13% line, all the way to the right there, something else we need to clean up in the, in the IPS uh, is that under our modeling, the, the average of the three worst scenarios is not a minus 30% as it is in the IPS. It's minus thirty six percent, so that's also going to be part of our recommendation. Um, and then briefly, in case you're wondering um, what those three worst scenarios are, uh, they're shown here on the on the left side of this page, page nine. Uh, it's COVID nineteen, of course, um, the the um, the long belt, uh, bull, uh, bear market that followed uh, the dot com crash in two thousand, which was followed by the build up to the Iraq War. So that was a long bear market. Um, you see that ha- about uh, two-thirds of the way down the page, and then finally at the bottom the global financial crisis.
7: Mm-hmm.
13: On page 10, um, so we're back out of the weeds, and we, here we recap uh, that the survey indicates that uh, concerns over total fund volatility are, are, are secondary to concerns over failing to achieve um, your, your actuarial discount rate. Uh, Additional support for setting the risk limit at 13% is provided by the fact that, uh, as Eileen said, um, the current um, 12% risk limit was established when the total fund risk was significantly lower than it is today. And then finally, the recent strategic asset allocation review uh, that you did with Makita showed that the board is comfortable with the current asset mix, and the risk level of that mix is just north of 12%, which indicates to us that the 12% limit is set a bit too tight.
0: So our recommendations are summarized on slide 11. Um, These are uh, current, we're comparing the current IPS risk limits to uh, what we recommend. So increasing that risk limit from 12% to 13%. Um, increasing or changing the funded ratio tolerance from falling below 60% to falling below 48% at the 5% probability level. And then lastly, as Mark indicated, um, because you adopted a higher risk target, um, the drawdown exposure is greater than negative 30%. And and so we recommend increasing that to negative 36%. So in terms of our conclusions, um, wh- one thing that's difficult when you're setting both the strategic asset allocation or making any sort of strategic decisions about the fund is how, um, how much consensus there is in support of those decisions. And I think the good news is, is your survey responses indicated Um, that there is a high degree of consensus in terms of the risk appetite of this fund and the board and that it is high and and that you all similarly have the same um, or very unanimous in terms of your risk objective and that is ensuring that the asset allocation supports the ability of the fund to ultimately meet its objectives of providing for the retirement of the fund participants and and in and, and, and exceeding the discount rate assumption of the liabilities. Um, there also appears to be a lot of uh, consensus around the uh, comfort with the complexity of the current fund, which uh, if you do have a higher, Uh, Risk target you do typically need to have um, a more complex fund so that you capture more of those strategies that um, Are likely to meet your overall return target and and your risk target and then uh, lastly uh, obviously with the changes we're recommending uh, that does entail revisiting your IPS language to align your IPS language with both these recommendations as well as our findings in the fund, particularly as they relate to the length of time associated with that strategic decision-making changing from the annual to a, um, a longer-term horizon that's more in line with your peers. So. Um, That really concludes our comments and and obviously happy to entertain any more questions either about the results or about maybe our thoughts on... on
2: Great, thank you very much. Um, This is, as our CIO indicated, extremely important. In a lot of ways, deciding our risk is the whole ball of wax. Mm -hmm. So uh, with that, any questions from trustees?
14: I have a question. Please. So I understand the argument for having a risk limit uh, you know, over the risk tolerance, but I wonder- I'm sorry, can you speak more, I can't hear you. Can you hear me now, Julie? Yeah, thank you. Um, I understand the rationale of having a risk limit over the risk tolerance, but I wonder uh, what are the implications for the discount rate? Are we moving towards increasing the discount rate in the future? (laughs)
5: Well, I think I think the two are separate des- decisions. <laughs> I don't think one is linked to the other. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's for the board to decide. But I don't think the two are necessarily tied together.
2: I, I think they're related, but I think we we set them separately. Mm-hmm. So, if we, for instance, were to adjust upward the limit and then act upon it to actually increase our uh, our risk, therefore hoping to generate higher returns, then we might increase the discount rate. But that's at least a three-step process to get there, and and we haven't done that in, in recent years. So I think with the discount rate, and that will come up in the fall when we do our annual review of that, uh, we are looking both at our expected earnings in the future, but also our past performance. So we've we've been slow to modify our discount rate.
14: Thank you.
9: Yeah. Is is that a fair characterization?
5: That's that's well said. Um, Um, But the implication is that we're not increasing the the risk limit as a precursor to increasing the discount rate, so that's.
12: So if I may, uh, Mr. Chairman. Please. Hi, Harvey Lederman, uh, You you raise a very good chicken and egg issue here that appears in, in, in the survey results. And I think we need to make sure the board Understands which what is the chicken and what is the egg and it's and it's this the It appears That there is a perception that we have an actuarial rate of return That's kind of this bogey out there that we're trying to skate towards and we'll adjust risk so that in return to meet that Arby, you cutting in and out. Too. That that's really upside down. Thank you. The actuarial rate of return derives from the board's risk-return analysis. In other words, what are what is our tolerance for risk, and what we want to peg for our uh, return for that? Once that's established, then the actuary will say, well, if that's how you're going to invest the assets. Then we're going to set the assumed rate of return on those assets based on your risk return tolerance. Th- it's totally derivative. It's not something that we derive risk based upon. It's the the opposite. So the board should set its asset allocation based on its assessment and comfort with how much you know, modern portfolio theory, how much on the efficient frontier how much Risk are we willing to take assuming we'll get so much return for that to fund the system? And then the actuary will say well if that's how you're investing your assets then yeah I'm going to assume your rate of return is a little bit less than that because I want a cushion of comfort in there uh, To make it so it appears from the survey that your responses have it upside down this last one says down drawdown risk are concerns but falling short of the actuarial assumed return is a greater concern it's it, the actuarial rate of return is not something you skate towards and adjust your risk and return assumptions based on it's the other way around and I think the board needs to understand that We d- we don't arbitrarily set some assumed rate of return actuarially, and then decide how to invest the assets accordingly. We ad- we decide how to invest the assets on a risk return analysis, and then the actuary derives the assumed rate of return from that.
0: Mr. Chair, uh, if I can make please, I, I think what you're saying is true, except for. I think one very important um, concept and that is when the actuary sets that actuarial rate of return because they are looking at what the strategic asset allocation target return is the actuary is setting that based on their time horizon for the plan which encompasses 30 to 50 years, let's say. It looks at the time horizon associated with the period over which benefit payments are going to be made to current plan participants. And that's a very long time horizon. Now when you set your asset allocation target, it's a long time horizon, but it's 10 years, right? So I think the way that I think about exceeding or focusing on that assumed rate of return is that assumed rate of return Does in in some way capture the other things that are important, and that is, you know, the funded status, volatility potential, and the potential for falling short of meeting those benefit payment obligations. So when the board is setting its strategic asset allocation, it's changing it over time with the eye of ultimately fulfilling those objectives, which are, you know, basically reflected in that actuarial return. So I I don't think it's so much chasing that, so much as, okay, that kind of reflects that very long 30 to 50 year time horizon of being able to meet those obligations, and the board is striving to achieve that objective. And, and, And so it's just a quantitative reflection of that objective that's kind of the way I think about it
2: yeah. I, if I could comment I would maybe take two caveats in, in what you just said uh, for the, the actuary advises us on the uh, expected rate of return but ultimately it is voted on by the board so the board sets that as a number and secondly the, the, the risk target maximum ceiling is not necessarily something we implement. Right. And in fact, what right. you just observed was we originally had a risk ceiling of 12%, but we were only taking 9.5% of that. And as a result, had commensurate much lower returns that a lower risk target would, would uh, imply. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think personally, just having participated in the process over the last three years, I don't think it's quite so linear. I think it's kind of a... Mm-hmm. fuzzy, recursive uh, process. Uh, we're thinking about all these things at once, not necessarily one deriving from the other, but I think the goal is to have some level of conformity, that we're setting a risk target and we're setting an asset allocation in a way that justifies or makes reasonable the, uh, the discount rate and we're willing to modify any one of those elements if they get too far out of line with the other. So That's, that's the way I personally view it. But perhaps my thinking is more fuzzy than most.
8: Yeah. I have a question and mine is that if we're at twelve point one percent risk right now, we're over the twelve percent limit. Okay. And do we have to, if we decide not to raise our risk limit, do we have to go back and change our <coughs> asset allocation to make sure that we're under that. No, 10%. no, the board
5: the board approved the twelve point one percent. So there's an implicit A decision by the board that we are over the twelve percent. Yeah, and it's not such an exact science that I would worry about ten basis points. Um, Yeah, I mean that's the other way to look at it. Yeah, uh, you have to go back and say our decision was wrong. That's right. That's right. And the other, the other thing is, of course, uh, and I told this to the police and fire board. And the two plans are different. In general, I like them to be similar, but I think there's a good enough reason here uh, for it to be different. Is that if I think that this is an uh, some market environment is an ideal time to take more risk, the board this is the board's decision to to set it at twelve or thirteen, and I can make a case to the board that we should be more aggressive in our investment uh, in our in our investment decisions, which actually require an ex ante risk of thirteen and a half or fourteen percent, and the board can quickly change that. So that I think the board the board And we did that in March, 2020. I mean, we were still within the limit, but we quite drastically increased our risk limit, right? So, but going back to Harvey's point, I have to say, uh, and to trustee Avasti's question, right? So if you look at our expected rate of return now, based on the amount of risk that we are willing to take, uh, Makita's return assumptions show greater than 8%, and our discount rate is at six and five eighths. So, when when you all discuss the discount rate decision uh, in the fall, uh, something to keep in mind. I'm not recommending that it should be increased, but uh, so so Harvey. I think in reality we are. I mean they're all they're all interconnected in some ways, yeah. but I think when we set SAA our strategic asset allocation, we are looking at the risk limit and coming up with it, not necessarily trying to be guided by the discount rate so i think it's it's more dependent on the risk number and and Mikita's capital market assumptions but of course if the if the risk if the discount rate is 1% uh, obviously it's going to have a bearing on how i think about assets but sort mm. of we are we're usually in the ballpark of the discount rate but for the first time this year there's quite a
10: gap between the expected return and the discount rate Look, m- m- my two cents on this is uh, I think Harvey's made some good points, and ultimately I agree with Chair Horowitz that you know they are interrelated in a way. It's hard to make it linear, but our job is to keep it simple. We need to take as much risk as possible without tanking the plan to get to a much better funded status because our funded status is not good. That is the first. I think that's the, tr- the, the north star for this discussion.
12: Good point. It's a very good point. And may I just ask one question? Sure. Does the a recommendation, Eileen, to increase the risk uh, tolerance by this um, amount um, get as granular as targeting where that risk should lie in the portfolio?
0: No, this uh, really relates solely to the overall asset allocation objective
2: following up, I think, on on what uh, CIO Polanyi was suggesting, help me understand, in the case of a drawdown, as we experienced in March of 2020 with the onset of the COVID crisis, a measure like the VIX went up drastically. There was more risk in the system. And yet, to me, and to my simplistic thinking, when asset prices decline sharply, there's less risk going forward. So how do we account for that reality
0: Well, they actually when they decline there's typically more volatility Associated with them
2: more uh, volatility, but I would say less risk <laughs> If yeah. you're a buyer, it's, it's a short-term VIX is based right.
13: on a trading in the options market mm-hmm. so it's,
5: it's very uh, And risk has so many different definitions, right? No, no. Um,
2: well, I guess for the sake of this argument or this discussion and where we set our limits did our risk profile increase in march of 20 well the way
5: yeah yes it did or because did it if you, if you have a bear market which we did in 12 12 trading days the fastest bear mm-hmm. market in history that increase that implies extreme volatility and the way we mm-hmm. calculate risk here your risk does go up but to your point yeah assets were on a song you know song, so.
2: so if we were to want to take advantage of such a situation in the future should one occur we would need to raise our volatility or our risk limit in order to be in a position to right. leverage such a circumstance, you would. That's great, point. but but yeah. we, we sort of did that right. Uh, we, we acted anyway. Yeah, we we, we, did, we, th- we
10: did exactly that, okay. right? We we have a strategic asset allocation, and mm-hmm. when our CIO came to us and said, mm-hmm. "Look, I think there's an event-driven rationale for making a change," we made the change. Mm-hmm.
0: And you weren't precluded from the limit because you had a comfortable margin with which to work. Um, and that's why we're recommending a higher limit uh, because you know that type of market environment, while it doesn't come around frequently, you do want to be able to be nimble and react quickly and not have to revisit because it's a policy. You would be breaching a policy threshold. So to I make, a question. Uh,
2: Sure, go ahead. I just wanted to s- summarize what I just heard. So in order to make our policy comport with our actual actions, we would want to increase the uh, policy limit to 13 percent. Correct. Okay. Go ahead, uh, Trustee Jen- Okay.
4: If you go to page 11 uh, and you look at the funded ratio, it says our current You know, 12% one, 5% probability of falling below 60%. Now the funded ratio is not the unfunded, it's the funded. It's where we want to be. Like we want to be at 100 if we could, right? right? And our funded ratio is... What do we at as unfunded? Are we at 50?
6: We are in the 55, 57%. 55. So, uh, for, fu- um, for funded. Funded.
5: Funded. That's funded, funded. Issue.
6: funded. That's funded. That's funded. Yes. Okay, so... This is, so, so this is a 5% probability so of falling below that. We are already below that. Right. I think that's she, she said. unfunded. Well, the we
4: funded, funded, funded ratio, funded. yeah, we're below that. We're at 55. But if we go to the 13%, we we have a 5% probability, which is very low. Of falling below 48%. Is that true? Is that, am I saying that right? Yes. 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 Okay. So we're adding more risk and thus we have a higher pro- well, we have a 5% chance of being at a lower funded ratio.
0: Correct. What yes. is that? Yes? yes. Correct. Yep. yep.
4: Okay. I just wanted to make sure I'm
2: reading that right. Uh, Thank you. Uh, although I would just amend, we're giving ourselves the possibility of adding more risk. We haven't added more risk.
4: Yeah, I know. I'm saying if, right? I'm just
2: reading it. I wanted to be clear on that small point. Well, are we
5: ready? Um, Are you ready?
2: Uh, (laughs) Ready for what? uh, It it requires action. It It requires action here. uh, And the action specifically is to amend the IPS to comport with what was on slide number 11. Or um, mm-hmm. to increase the absolute volatility ceiling to 13% and to make or these okay. other modifications as, mm-hmm. uh, as a result. That is correct. Okay. Is there a motion f- thus?
4: All right, All right. Let's uh, <laughs> so move to increase to from 12% to 13%. So
2: we have a motion from Vice Chair Jennings. Do we have a second? I'll second it. We have a second from Trustee Abbott. Uh, is there any further trustee discussion?
10: Yes. Okay. Um, you had mentioned uh, increasing the time period in which we review strategic asset allocation. You didn't include that in the recommendations. I'm just curious, is there a reason why? It's a topic that we can revisit. Uh, I would like for us to revisit at least at the, to start at the IC, but is it something that you might suggest we consider now?
0: I I I would say yes. Um, we I guess we didn't because there wasn't a discrete sort of number associated with it. But your responses indicated um, you know three to five years, and that is the industry standard. So if we were to make a recommendation, our recommendation would be to revisit it in that you know three to five year time frame.
7: It's an actually in
5: conclusions on page twelve. So next steps so you can you can make the uh Want if to you amend
2: can, the motion to make you, yeah you can amend the motion although i would encourage you not to let's keep that as a separate <laughs> issue <laughs> if i may make that statement as chair
10: uh i, I had no intention to okay. i <laughs> wanted to understand it Veris felt fairly fairly strongly about it and mm-hmm. i did and um yeah it's a topic that i think we will agendize okay.
2: Fair enough. We haven't really had a discussion about it, so to yeah, it'd it either be
10: yeah. that or to spend real time now having a meaningful discussion okay. about it.
2: Um, so the motion stays as is. Uh, we probably have an action item for the future to, to, to discuss that issue, perhaps at the IC. First, is there any further comment or discussion? So I will
5: on the second point. Uh, I can bring language to the IC uh, in August that amends the IPS to reflect. Uh, various observations and conclusions, and then we can have a discussion at the AC. Great. Great.
2: Is there any public comment on the motion? Okay, hearing none, we will have a roll call vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Abstain. Uh, Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Avasti?
3: Aye.
2: Trustee Linder? No. No and i vote I as well so it does carry did i miss someone
12: four. Four. Four.
2: did i get trustee avasti yes okay so abbott avasti jennings and horowitz you
11: four. get four.
5: Four, one one, right four, four, four,
2: yeah so the motion passes, if only narrowly. Oh, we're missing a trustee.
10: I was wondering why we didn't get the seven. Okay. Okay.
2: Thank you. Oh, great, thank you. This has been very, uh, very important and interesting.
0: Thank you all, appreciate your yes. questions.
5: Thank you, Varis. Actually, we do have one more agenda item in investments, <laughs> okay. but we will keep it very brief. Uh, over to Ron Kumar for 3G.
4: Oh, this one. <laughs>
9: In fact, have a memo uh, regarding seven subscription vendors that, are, that we're asking to add
12: uh, funds to for one
9: year. These are data services. Uh, can pro- speak I'm them. sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, these are seven vendors that provide data services to the investment program. Are we asking to add funds for one year to continue the services? The, uh, the fees are divided equally between the police and fire and federated plans. So I can take any questions if you may have.
10: And these numbers are the total, so we are paying half the numbers.
9: So the last column is the federated portion, the very far right portion.
10: Oh, I'm sorry, I'm only
9: looking at the agenda.
10: Okay, thank you. (laughs) My bad, I should have looked up.
2: Any questions from trustees? I'll make a motion to approve. Okay, we have a motion from Trustee Chandra to approve. I second. We have a second from Trustee Avasti. Any further discussion? Any public comment? We will call the roll. Vice Chair Jennings?
4: Aye.
2: Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. I vote aye as well. Motion carries. Thank you. Okay, we are on to... No old business, we come to new business. Uh, we did not take a break at the 10 o'clock hour, as is our custom. Is there any desire to take a break now or should we proceed? Soldier on. Okay, we're gonna soldier on. And that brings us to 5A. Uh, Mr. Pena, an oral update, please. Thank you, Mr.
6: Chair. Um, just a few comments, if you bear with me. Uh, so, uh, Prabhu was correct. Uh, Prabhu and I actually attended the uh, the San Jose uh, Retired Employees Association meeting last week and made a presentation. We were introduced uh, by Trustee Linder, and it's funny how things I remember. We did, we did get some very interesting questions. Uh, I always felt that my questions were a little more difficult than Prabhu, but <laughs> that's not what he remembers. Um, there were some issues that were raised regarding the uh, the hybrid approach approach that we have at the office of uh, was the uh, yes of, of employees working and so I, I was very clear that we um, have decided to continue the hybrid approach. Uh, we have staff coming to the office two or three days a week, and that will continue going forward. Uh, some of the retirees uh, were less enthusiastic about that. They would prefer that we go back to the office five days a week. Just wanted to share that with you uh but we we're, we're always appreciate you were going to make a comment well i'm
2: just wondering is that because they felt they weren't getting the service response that they yes you know, uh, they, they, there were
6: some concerns i think some of them first of all had more to do some of the examples uh, early in the pandemic for example one of the comments was related to you're only going to pick up the mail one day a week which well we, we did that early on in the pandemic We we stopped we changed that. Through the pandemic, and of course, it's no longer the case. Uh, Some concerns about getting uh, staff on the phone, which, you know, the reality is that we have uh, sometimes it may be a little more difficult to get staff on the phone, but that's whether they are at the office or they're working from home. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the end of the day, I asked them if they were receiving their, their monthly stipend or benefits timely and correctly, and they agreed that was the case. Uh, But, you know, we did make the point that I was going to share that publicly with the board, um, with staff, although we feel uh, based on the experience that we have uh, experienced the last three years, uh, we feel uh, strongly that the current approach that we have implemented is working. uh, And of course, we obviously reserve the right that uh, if we feel that it's no longer working for the for the members, we have the right to call the staff back uh, full-time at the office. They are working full time. I cannot emphasize that enough. They are working full time. It's just that Mm -hmm. some days are at the office, some days at home.
4: Um, I think uh, mainly on that, um, I strongly support that, as you can tell, um, the hybrid. (laughs) I think it's just really important that when people are choosing to retire or making those decisions or need to talk to a benefits analyst, that they are able to contact someone and if that's on the web where they you know but it it just needs to be real time i think if we maintain that then we're doing uh the service we need to uh, because they're getting a live person that they can work through the multiple questions they might have
6: Yes. No. I. I don't. I, I. agree completely, and that's our goal, and that's what we are, are shooting for. Uh. Mm-hmm. Barbara, do you have any anything yes. else to no, add on that issue? Or
14: no, no. I think you covered it all.
6: Okay. Very well. Um, also, wanted to share that um, we had uh, the office had our annual summer picnic last Friday. Mm-hmm. It was at the Kelly Park. Uh, it was very well attended. Uh, the the summer. Uh, committee did a fantastic job. I think staff really enjoyed the time, and so uh, we want to thank the, uh, the board for allowing us to have the summer picnic in the afternoon on last Friday, and it's you know, something that we look forward to every year, and we take also the time to congratulate and to, uh, we select uh, a couple of members from the staff, and we thank them for the uh, extraordinary work throughout the year, so we did that as well. We also wanted to share with you that uh, we hold quarterly staff meetings uh, at the office. Um, We've done that for 10 years. We actually skipped uh, two quarters uh, just early this year, but we went back to it this month, and we had our quarterly staff meeting um, this week on Wednesday. Again, uh, attended uh, by staff at the office and those working remotely. Um, And we specifically invited the chief, information security officer from the city to attend and provide uh, staff uh, uh, some comments on cybersecurity at the city level. So that was uh, you know uh, very, very helpful and we we appreciate the time spent with the staff on that issue. Uh, I also wanted to share with you that the office will be closed this coming Monday, June 19th in a survey of uh, June 10th uh, day and also on July 4th in a survey on independence day. And lastly, I wanted to give you a couple of personal uh, updates. Uh, I hope you can uh, join me in welcoming uh, some new staff to the administrative uh, group. First, Edith Aldama. Edith uh, is our new staff specialist. Uh, She just joined uh, our office last May 30th and will be working supporting the Police and Fire board and committee meetings Uh, Also, Cheryl Aledo. Cheryl actually is our new staff specialist, and she joined us in early May. And we actually will be supporting uh, your board on your board meetings and subcommittees. And also, we have, if you give me a second, we have Mallory Vidal. Mallory actually worked with us, uh, also supporting the military staff, and she actually from the uh, temporary uh, work services so welcome to all that all of you thank you for your time and your work uh, we need you and so we appreciate the, uh, the your efforts welcome thank you uh, lastly I uh, I also want to share with you a couple of things um, the uh, accounting group is actually conducting some interviews f- uh, for the new web position accountant one two so Uh, Those interviews will probably take place in July. Um, And I also wanted to remind you two things. Um, At times, either because of meetings or other issues, we want to get in contact with you. So if you can confirm with our administrative staff what is the best contact information that you have in terms of you either email or a phone number? To make sure that we can actually either text you call you or email you and you all receive an email from Michelle uh, regarding potential subscriptions that we want to uh, Help you with to receive on a monthly or quarterly basis and if you can please take the time to get back to Michelle uh, on whether or not you're interested. If you're interested, let him know what are those that you would like to receive. If you're not interested, please just let him know so she can uh, address that issue and take you off the list so that we can then move forward on, uh, on making the requested certifications. That concludes my oral update, Mr. Share. I'm happy to answer any questions. Thank you very much. Are there any questions from trustees? I
8: one question yes. and it's a small one but it has to do with regard to the subscriptions there's certain ones I already have but I'm wondering if there is a consensus from our group about which ones we sh- all of us should um, subscribe to
2: this this is consensus. a new program so no consensus <laughs> exists Are a- yes. any,
8: any per- people's opinions about which ones I know that I mm-hmm. subscribe to the Wall Street Journal and The Economist already I'm wondering if there's a gap there.
10: We, we should just give you the list that is uh, it's clearly was circulated before you became. I saw interested. the. I saw the list. Oh, you so did. Yeah. Um, and the staff's in the process of getting group um, subscriptions, so we just do it by email with them and add any names Mm -hmm. that you think are missing. Yeah, my
8: Mm -hmm. question was more like, is there a recommendation? There
6: is no recommendation. We wanted to share with you what the options were. And you know, there are, all of you have different kind of backgrounds, so it's really up to what, whatever it is that you're looking to do. Uh,
2: In in addition to those, I think Institutional Investor and CIO Magazine seem to cover pension-related issues and specifically, or or asset allocation issues. I think the Financial
10: Times was also recommended for more global reach.
12: Right. Thank you. Pensions and investments is a good source. PNI. I I don't think that was on the original list, but perhaps we should
2: look at that. Okay, any other questions? If not, then we will turn to our City Council liaison, uh, Councilmember Davis.
15: Uh, Thank you. We passed the budget on Tuesday (laughs) after much (laughs) discussion on Monday and Tuesday. and we are still in negotiations with a couple of bargaining units so that's kind of the update not a whole lot we're winding down um for before our july break Mm
2: -hmm.
15: happy to take any questions specific questions about the budget i'm not going to summarize the 14 (laughs) hours of discussion we had about it
2: and indeed are there any
10: questions from trustees so uh, you guys won't be bargaining uh during july then it'll pick up again in august the was staff it?
15: will continue bargaining but we won't be able to ratify agreements until our first meeting in august it is scheduled for uh, i believe it's the eighth
10: okay thank you mm-hmm. any other we
15: questions d- we did ratify a bunch of agreements already
8: um my only question would be are there were there any things in the budget that could impact the board or that we should be aware of
15: um, the the only thing I think, and I think
8: um, this might
15: have been announced already, is that uh, we will not be the city will not be pre funding this year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the that's the only thing that I think it directly impacts. And, um, we an yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought you announced that.
2: <coughs> okay. Thank you. Um, next item: discussion action on committee assignments. So with the departure of one trustee and the addition of two new trustees, uh, one we can get to full membership on our five committees. and make that a bit larger if we could, thank you. Uh, so here we have the uh, existing committees and in red the new uh, assignments suggested by your chair. Uh, just as a uh, bit of context, there are five committees, three members each. We try, but don't always succeed to have a mix of, quote, public members and plan members on each committee. And uh, these are my suggested uh, changes and additions. So each trustee has two assignments, with the exception of our vice chair, Julie Jennings, who has three assignments, although she had four. So she's this is a movement <laughs> in the right direction for her. And um, most of these committees are equally active, I would say, with the exception of governance, which is to date relatively light in terms of their activity. So, uh, Trustee of. Av- Sorry? Could get more active. Could, could get <laughs> more active, um, but hasn't been. Um, right. uh, but in any case, I'd like to ask uh, Trustee Linder to take the helm over there. Yeah, and uh, uh, Trustee Avasti, I think the audit committee has. Uh, new and increased uh, focus and importance, I'd like to ask your expertise to chair over there and uh, the other assignments you can see as as they are. So if there's any questions, comments, uh, rebuttals? I think
4: um, on the disability committee, um, it requires all that training, so Matthew will need to go through the recordings that we have. Correct. Up this
6: right. Yeah, we we'll make sure he, he's he still have yet to be thrown in, but <laughs> yes, we'll make sure that we provide those links to him. Um we're also gonna be scheduling onboarding meetings with trustee Abbott and Fortnite, and I will make sure to mention uh that as well to him during our meeting.
4: And maybe uh you can also I would offer him, you know, time with um you know the the legal counsel who's been helping us
6: through that educational process. Yes, both trustees also are gonna. They usually have a, an onboarding with uh, with uh, legal, um, not as no, not, not as, as, know, as it's exciting it's, as the one we staff, but we, we <laughs> do allow you to spend time with legal on um, fiduciary responsibilities and everything else. So yes, we will make sure to do that. Thank you, Trustee mm-hmm. Jennings. Right. My,
2: my my rationale for uh, asking uh, Trustee Faulkner to work there. Uh, as you recall from his interview process, he already has some experience in quasi-judicial uh, uh, proceedings uh, uh, as a uh, adjudicator for the uh, Finra. For Finra, thank yeah. you. Uh, so I'm hoping he has some yeah. some SROs. marginal ex, uh, experience that will aid in that process.
8: So one I question. I'd just like to say that I would like to be on the investment committee.
2: The investment committee is over, always the most oversubscribed and, and most demanded, so it's, it's always a challenge to, uh, to parcel out those assignments, but uh, we revisit this in January of every year after a new chair and vice chair are elected in December. So these, these assignments are at least for the remainder of this year only, this calendar year.
8: So there's no opportunity for me to move to that, to switch with Matthew?
2: uh there is if we were to vote on it and uh and to approve that but um um this is my current proposal as chair okay. i also and want to go ahead i also asked to be
6: okay
4: yeah
2: so we we for about
6: three years, so... i'm sorry julie we couldn't hear you what do you say
4: i said i also uh requested to be in the investment committee and have been a trustee for three years um However, my plate is full, so would have had to leave another one. But um, I also want to um, provide uh, Chair Horowitz his um, best. The people that he, I, I'm standing behind his choice.
2: Thank you, Vice Chair Jennings. As a member, as a member of my administration, I appreciate <laughs> your I was support. Even as, as chairs, certainly in, in this realm is a exercise in disappointment.
6: So yeah. that is something I must face <laughs> up to. I, I just also wanted to share this uh, for the benefit of uh, Trustee Abba who's a new trustee uh, to the board that um, you notice that committees are formed or comprised of three members and that's a requirement because you board is comprised of seven. So we cannot have a committee comprised of four members um, because that would constitute a meeting of the actual board if, if, if a quorum actually meets. So that's another reason why the committees are formed comprised of just three members. Otherwise, we could be adding more names at different times. And let me add to that additionally, that these are all public uh,
2: meetings. Anyone can attend, any member of the public. Anyone can mm-hmm. comment. And while the ICE occasionally votes and takes action, they are at best recommendations of actions to the full board where the ultimate authority lies for any action that we must take. So we certainly welcome your participation and insight at the IC.
5: If I can add to what the chair just said, IC meetings are a lot more boring now than they used to be after delegation of authority to staff. uh, And we only meet four times a year. So Mm -hmm. it's not as exciting as it sounds. I think okay. that's a
10: slide on my chairmanship. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, <laughs> to, thanks to a wonderful board. chair. No, I think, I
2: think, that's, I think that's a kudo to the chair. You guys were just slammed by Roberto, <laughs> and I think yeah. I just took a hit by mm-hmm. the CIO. <laughs> <laughs> per, perhaps we should auction for, those seats as a way of increasing plan for uh, for assets. For for for, so uh, for, uh, what, for yeah. what it's
10: worth, since I've been on the board, I think in the longest tenure, um, there there's been more interest uh, in uh, being in certain committees as opposed to sort of serving where um, the need is, um, so for, for what that's worth, and I think you're doing a good job of trying to accommodate everyone's requests. Okay, and
2: and these will move around and change over time, so the the, the assignments do evolve um, year, year by year.
14: I have a question. Yes. Um, it's a question for Roberto. Um, I don't recall the rationale for having an alternate in the disability committee before, but I'm wondering if you, if you need it now, or because I know I was appointed as an alternate.
6: I, I think the reason at the time we added an alternate was if you remember, we were having uh, remote meetings and we were sort of thinking about coming back to the to to having this meetings in person, mm, okay, and we wanted to it. make sure that. We didn't have to cancel a meeting if we didn't have a quorum. So, having four with an alternate made it easier to make sure that we had a quorum for the meetings.
14: That
6: makes sense. Thanks. Okay. Any further discussion or questions? Uh,
2: So, do we have a motion then to uh, do we need a motion or can this be done by by, by, we do need a motion? Yes. I Uh, motion to accept the list. Okay. We have a, a motion to accept by Vice Chair Jennings. Do we have a second? I second. We have a second from Trustee Avasti. Any further discussion? Any public comment? Hearing none, we will vote. Vice Chair Jennings?
14: Aye.
2: Uh, Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. And I vote aye as well. The motion passes. Thank you.
10: Thank Uh, you, Mr. Chair.
2: Sure. It's not
11: Mm. an
10: easy task.
2: Uh, It's many, many, the chair wears many, difficult hats <laughs> heavy as <laughs> the crown for wi- for which there is no extra compensation I should <laughs> 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 uh, item 5d discussion and action on uh, incentive compensation ranges uh, who is uh, trustee Chandra as vice-chair of the JPC you're gonna present on this um,
10: I suppose I should um, I think so. but I admit to not being fully prepared to do so um, Please feel free to help out. Okay, uh, but I will <laughs> lead the conversation, Chair Horowitz. Um, uh, after after several months of discussion at the JPC, um, the the police and fire representatives and the federated um, board representatives have been uh, weighing uh, implementing a incentive compensation program. Uh, the goal of the incentive compensation program is retention. And also to attract uh, uh, staff in the future that is of the caliber and performance that we've achieved over the past three to five years. It is the belief of the committee that um, alpha can be generated by things like manager selection and good teamwork as and and leadership has been demonstrated by the CIO um, in um, training and mentoring and, uh, and and helping his staff improve their investment acumen. Um, you know, I will editorialize and say that it's been a long five years in, in moving in this direction and most of it has been, in my opinion, structural, uh, whether it's governance or investment policy decisions like the one of the ones we just took earlier today. Um, but ultimately, it's it is people. You can only do so much institutionally to put a uh, um, you know a- any system or any plan in place for the long term. And we want to make sure that we have the right type of uh, staff to help us continue to improve our funded status and do the good work that's taken place thus far. Um, so with that, there was a lot of back and forth um, as to what the right incentive amounts were. I won't go. Through that sausage making, um, we ultimately concluded, and and bring they, the police and fire brought it forward to their board um, earlier this month, and I believe it was approved. Um, and so we are seeking a similar approval for uh, details to be still fleshed out in the criteria and how we arrive at the metrics by which incentive compensation is. Uh, is given, um, but a maximum range of 50% of base salary for the chief investment officer, a maximum of 40% of base salary for senior investment officers, people holding that title, uh, and, ma- and a maximum of 30% of base salary for the investment officer position.
2: Uh, anything I missed, Trust uh, Chair Horowitz? I think only to say that this is our proposal for something that must be approved by city council. Thank you, for that's so <laughs> very important. Mm-hmm um so that's the rationale the just to reiterate the one small point is the the algorithm by which the bonus will be applied is still under discussion but first we want to figure out what is the top dollar amount that could be achieved that is if everything goes right and they hit all the metrics that are in the algorithm so again that's the 50 the 40 and the 30 percent
8: i
4: have have two questions i can say one more thing to that okay Um, we looked at you know comparables who who was doing um, this type of incentive program, and that was Orange County and San Bernardino. And Orange County was higher, San Bern. I think I have this right. And San Bernardino was, I think you know, at the fifty percent. We chose to go fifty percent. We chose not to go to the highest. We know there's sensitivity. Um, <clears throat> from the city, um, and to incentive programs overall. And, um, as much as we want to be leading this effort, uh, we chose a more conservative approach, um, so that we can move this one forward and get our sponsor to also support this. Um, and this is supporting alpha. So, uh, that's the major, the major reason for it, um, and to uh, provide compensation when that is done, over a period of time, not just one year.
0: So there's a lot of components
4: to it, there was a lot of discussion, of course we wanted to go higher, we wanted to do Orange County, but we're trying to be cognizant of the city, and how, um, and what City Council would um, hopefully support.
2: Uh, Thank you, Vice Chair. Uh, Trustee Abbott, question?
8: Yeah, So I'm wondering, um, there sounds like there's a couple of benchmark cities that you guys Mm -hmm. looked at. I'm wondering if this is something that um, has been an issue in terms of recruiting people to to fulfill this kind of position, the fact that there hasn't been incentive pay, so that's one question. And then the second question would be Let me think what that was um, what is that sort of where do the funds come to pay this does it come out of the city budget or does it come out of the returns that we have from the um, the investments we make well, and does it have a significant impact on the returns uh,
2: I'll answer the second question <laughs> is it comes out of the ORS budget uh, and the numbers in terms of dollars are insignificant compared to the size of the of the in, uh, investment yeah. plan uh, but as to the first, I don't know if you'd want to address uh, its, its relevance to recruitment in the past or future?
10: Uh, yes. Yeah, so what I would say is that the committee is concerned uh, that the market for our current talent in the private sector and in foundations and endowments is significantly higher. We have no intention of ever matching that. We're, we're aware that we're a government pension plan but we're trying to do what we can with some of the attendant other benefits that come from working uh, for the city, pension, etc. cetera. Um, also, I think people derive a lot of personal satisfaction in doing public service, but that nonetheless, we were still out of whack. Um, and now I'll editorialize, I've used this metaphor too many times, I'm tired of hearing myself say it, But. Um, I have noticed in the pension world that there's a Goldilocks principle. You get young people willing to take a much lower salary because they get to play with billions of dollars of assets, and then they move on to a private sector job and use the continuity. Or you get people who are very experienced in their career and have made a bunch of money in the private sector, and, I mean, really editorializing, don't want to play golf five days a week. They still like to show up at conferences, sit on panels, and be important. Finding that warm board, someone who can, you know, is comfortable with a government salary, but we'd like to create some incentive to make it a little more interesting so we can get really talented folks who are at the prime and see this as a place to leave their mark. And Stay here.
2: Uh, And leave their mark
10: for 10, 15 years.
2: Yeah, this is targeted both at retention of existing staff and or recruitment of new staff if we are unsuccessful in our retention efforts. And I think we've identified five other existing Pension plans in the state that offer some type of incentive bonus, and that number may be increasing. And uh, o- of those, most are in coastal counties or coastal cities where the c- yeah. the cost of living is much higher. I don't have to tell anybody that. So, yeah. So yeah, if you're you know serving Bakersfield, it may be easier to recruit there. But if you're serving, s- of yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, there there are other there are rules apply to that though. So. Well, and
4: also, I don't know, Roberto, maybe you can help on this one. Um, the, the bonuses would not come out of the ORS budget, right? Because I thought the investment staff is, um, through the uh, investment um, returns, they're paid through that. I didn't think they were part of the ORS personal services
6: budget. Uh, uh. I don't want to put words in the chair's mouth, but I think what he meant was that it's coming out of the plans. So it is coming out of the plans. But there's
4: a difference when you're talking city budget. Yeah, I mean, to to be be honest,
6: that's a very good question. uh, That no need to to decide, um, you know, uh, at this time. But at some point, we need to uh, decide whether we're going to Record that as a deduction of the earnings, or we, yeah. you know, gonna because it's gonna be paid out. I'm assuming as a payroll, right? Uh, it is, it is uh, an earning for the for the member for yeah. the staff. So um, it's a long way of telling you. I, I think right now I will view it as a deduction of the earnings, but uh, I think that have to be decided uh, long term. Mm-hmm. Thank you. But,
2: but perhaps it helps to put specific numbers on it. So. 50% of the CIO's salary, that would be the maximum um,
6: bonus under this incentive scheme would be exactly what in, in dollar terms? Um, I would say about one hundred and seventy-five, $170,000, right, Prabhu? Okay. Yes. Against, and, and that's for a, across
2: both plans, P&F and <coughs> Fed, is that correct? That's right. That's so that's out of a eight $8 billion dollar portfolio. Correct. Okay. Yes. Uh, okay. And I'm not in the habit of doing this, but I certainly would invite uh, uh, council liaison uh, Davis to comment on this particular item if she uh, would care to do so. <laughs>
15: I, since we haven't had this discussion at council, I really can't speak for, for mm-hmm. all of council. I think um, I have had a discussion with, with, um, Trustee Chandra about this and and I think that it does make sense to Try to um, Incentivize performance and I do think that Finding a middle way is good is good for trying to hire But finding a middle way that will be palatable to council is also something to take into consideration Right because this is not something that we do for our finance staff yeah. and we and we do have Finance staff on the city side as well. So I just keep that in mind.
6: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Thank you for that input.
6: I, I do uh, also wanted to mention um, I reached out to uh, the city, and at this point, uh, this item on incentive compensation and the uh, previous item uh, approved by the boards on the changes uh, proposed changes to the salary ranges. Um, Tentatively, I asked the city to put down some time for August 22nd. I will certainly keep both boards apprised. Uh, That will not be decided today. Uh, I think once we come back from the uh, long month of July and we have the agenda review meetings with the um, city staff, we will let you know whether this item will go to city council on August 22nd, August 15th, or August 29th if i have to bet i would say it would be sometime between the 22nd and 29th
2: okay great yes uh, i imagine some members uh, some trustees would want to uh, be at that meeting or comment on that meeting yeah That's again a- we will re- we'll
6: reach out to both boards uh, i think the uh, the uh, the recommendation or the request will be that to the extent that you are available it will be helpful if um you know i think the goal is to have the uh, both ic chairs to present to council, but having most of the board trustees there as a support uh, and answering any questions by council, I think would be very helpful, yes. Okay. All right,
2: if there's no further discussion, would anyone Uh, like to formulate a motion? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Um,
14: Are you also planning to bring the algorithm to the board?
6: I'm gonna say something, if I mistake, please correct me. I think the JPC decided they haven't determined that yet. Okay. Um so the answer to your question is no. Um I think there will be the IC chairs will be ready to kind of speak generally about it. Uh but I, mean, I think it might be the JPC chairs. Oh, what did I say? I see. I, it just happens to be the IC chairs are the oh, well, yeah. chair it's and vice right chair of the JPC. Yeah. You are it correct. Does, okay. That is that yes. the case with yeah. the, the chair okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but no, but they haven't decided yet. And I, I would expect that to be a long, a few months discussion of the JPC before mm-hmm. they're ready to, to. but, but I think your question is, is is fair because I think we need to be ready to at least provide some sort of a basis for understanding. You're you correct, so, but it hasn't been decided. Okay.
10: Yeah, I, I think um, it felt like a lot of information to try to communicate at, to at a council meeting. Um, the algorithms, the, the definitions, the financial terms and all that. So we wanted to get buy-in at the high, I mean, the uh, ultimate absolute potential dollar amounts we thought would be the most um, important thing to communicate and share.
4: Oh, is that
2: where you are, baby? <laughs> You're not on mute, uh, Vice oh, Chair I'm Jennings. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. But say hello to your cat for us.
4: <laughs>
2: all right, so. I have a brand
4: new kitty. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I was searching for. And right. She, it she does, not <laughs> does,
2: does not have voting rights.
4: She does not have voting
2: rights. So, uh, Mr. It, Chair, I'll yes. move approval
10: of the recommendation.
2: Thank you, uh, Trustee Linder. Is there a second to that I motion? Uh, we have a second from Vice Chair Jennings. Any further discussion from trustees? Any public comment on this issue? If not, we will have a roll call vote. Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Avasti? aye trustee linder aye trustee abbott aye and i vote aye as well motion carries all right move on to committee reports agenda item six uh the uh, must her- much heralded investment committee uh mm-hmm. trustee chandra would you care to report yeah there's no update from april and
10: obviously we're meeting again in august But most of what the investment committee has been doing has been presented or voted upon in the last two uh, mm-hmm. board meetings
2: exactly and then the governance committee uh lastly chaired yeah. by trust vice chair jennings and sounds like there was nothing to report okay nothing to report. um the audit committee uh our previous chair is uh, has departed and i think we are aware of some of the activities uh, recently inc- uh, encountered by the audit committee uh i hope uh, trustee avasti is prepared for her new do use as chair,
14: <laughs> the new chair, and
2: uh, they'll have their next meeting at August seventeenth. Uh, did you as as an attendee at the last meeting? Did you have anything else you would want to report?
14: Um, so the the joint audit committee meeting last month, uh, we had a discussion on the on the audit plan by NGO, which is uh, for action in this meeting, mm-hmm. and then we also discussed the uh, procurement and contracts internal audit um but i would uh not be giving an update now we still have to finish the discussion so um once we get that opportunity we'll bring that to the board
2: okay it does look like under item 63d we do have discussion and action on the to approve the uh, mg and o uh
6: audit plan is there correct uh, mr chair the committee did right. receive the presentation mm-hmm. and approved it and uh, is recommending it to you board for uh, for approval this is the action plan for the upcoming external financial auditor for june 30th
2: 2023 okay is there any questions or comments about the audit plan
10: i'll make a motion to approve the audit plan
2: Okay, so we have a motion from Trustee Chandra. Do we have a second? I'll second. We have a second from Trustee Linder. Any further discussion by trustees? Any public comment? Uh, we will vote. Uh, Vice Chair Jennings? Aye. Trustee Chandra? Aye. Trustee Avasti? Aye. Trustee Linder? Aye. Trustee Abbott? Aye. And I vote aye passes. Um, Disability Committee. Uh, the last meeting no was... No c-
6: meeting until... Uh, no
2: meeting till august uh when are we expected to actually hear our first disability case at the disability committee we're hoping he will be at At the next next meeting in august okay
10: he's assured me we have a large backlog i've (laughs) been told that (laughs) several times
2: so it's going to be an active committee yes all
10: right august will be the first one
2: okay uh joint personnel committee uh i think we've heard the bulk of what has been under intensive discussion. Uh, I don't know if uh, Trustee Chanja has anything to add to that at this point? No, that's it. Okay. Then moving on to education and training, we have the various uh, opportunities uh, for education. If there's any questions about that or any proposed agenda items from trustees or members of the public, hearing none, this meeting is adjourned.
13: Very good, sir. Thank Thank you. you.